0: Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. That's where we're going to find our text this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 14. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every high priest daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. By your will we exist, and on Christ the solid rock we do stand. Every attempt to come and approach you is a sinking sand quest. I thank you that you've made a way through Christ Jesus our Lord, and I thank you it's in Christ alone that we have come to know you. This morning as we hear your word, we pray. We pray. We pray that our hearts would have all of its attention on our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would open eyes and open our ears to see and to hear the beauty and the work of Christ. Forgive us for all of our defects and our service to you, Lord. Forgive us and pardon our sins. Guard us from the evil one this morning, I pray come by the power of your spirit in the name of our Lord and Savior. Jesus, I pray. Amen. 500 years ago today, the world was shaken to the core when a German monk or priest became convinced that the scriptures taught that salvation was in no one else except in Christ alone. That is the translation of the second of our solas in our solas series, solus Christus, Christ alone. During the time of Martin Luther, the Roman Catholic Church was the main power, the main power structure. And they taught that in order for someone to come to know Christ, in order for someone to know God, you had to pay It wasn't enough that you believed you had to earn your way or pay. Otherwise, you'd never see the light of heaven. After teaching on the Psalms and Galatians and then eventually Romans, Martin Luther eventually became convinced by the power of God that the church at the time completely obscured the once and for all finished work of Christ. And so the the Protestant Reformation is our heritage this morning. It is through the Protestant Reformation that we can see this morning that the Lord Jesus Christ, who is alive today, does take into account the state of his own church. He does look at what's going on in the life of his church Every single detail that's happening in the life of his church with every single one of its members, the Lord Jesus knows and he sees. And so the Lord Jesus is proactively involved in the life of his church, as he is this morning, the same way he was back 500 years ago when Martin Luther was around. And so... The Lord does take into account all of these things. And so the five solas in our series this morning, Sola uh, Scriptura, which we studied last week, Solus Christus, Sola Fide, Sola Gratia, and then Soli Deo Gloria, all of these five solas are not anything that the Reformers completely made up as they were drinking beer and smoking cigars. These are doctrines that are found here in Scripture and all the Reformers did was they believed it, they taught it, they submitted their lives to the teaching of Scripture. And so today we, in America, even in Miami, we may not live under the power and the shadow of the Roman Catholic Church, but what we will find in our pluralistic society, which makes a God of tolerance and that God tolerates nothing What we will find that it is unfashionable to say that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. So inside of the church and outside of the church, what we will find is that there are a lot of people, there are many trying to make their way to God and trying to find ways to get to know God and get in touch with the divine. The Hebrew Christians that this letter was written to were being reminded that it wasn't the sacrificial system that was part of their heritage that was going to get them right before God, ultimately. They knew and they were being reminded that the Jewish law was completely insufficient to make them right before a holy God. They couldn't deal ultimately with the main issue between God and man. Martin Luther knew this, and so did the author to the Hebrews. And just before we go to our first thought this morning, I, want, I just want to make a point this morning that the, the letter to the Hebrews was written to people that were normal people. These were not theologians. These were blue-collared people. We read through the entire letter to the Hebrews and even all of the letters that we see, Galatians, Ephesians, Corinthians, 2nd Corinthians, all of these letters were written to blue-collar people, most of whom had five to six to seven children because that was the norm in society. They worked for a living. And so when we read through things like what we're going to read this morning, chapter 10, and we when we understand what is being taught to us just know that this is for you this is not only for you this is for me so chapter 10 verse 1 says for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities it can never buy the same sacrifices that are continually offered Every year, make perfect those who draw near. So that brings me to my first thought. If the Lord did lay down this law that could never make perfect those who drew near, what was the point of it? The answer is found in verse 1. It was meant to point those who worship the Lord to something greater. The author of Hebrews says that it was a shadow of the good things to come. It wasn't just uh, something, a religious stricture on people. It was a shadow of the good things to come. So we don't have this this morning. We don't have the luxury of going through all of the good things that it pointed to. But at least three we can find in our text. Number one, perfection. The law showed the Hebrews how they ought to live. But ultimately, every single person fell short of the requirements of the law. The law pricked in the hearts of the Hebrews this longing, this yearning for perfection, and they knew they couldn't be perfect. Number two, relationship. The Lord didn't have to give the law to the people, He didn't have to give this law to His people. But what we see in the law is a revelation of the character of God that he desires to be in relationship with the people that he created, rebellious and hard-hearted as they are. And so he sets up this law. And the third shadow of the good things to come, which we will camp out on for a little bit, is a final and decisive dealing with, with the main issue between God and man, which is called sin. In our evangelical culture today, we find many people that are opposed to talking about the law. They will say things like, well, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. And that is true according to Romans chapter 6. But by the same token, they completely dismiss The validity of the law, the beauty of the law, the law of the Lord is good, reviving the soul, the psalmist says. Or Romans chapter 7 verse 1, Paul says, is the law sin? And he says, by no means. It's not. It's good. The Lord, when we come to know Christ, the Lord gives us a heart of love. He pours his love into our hearts so that now we can Go ahead and fulfill the law. And that is what Paul says. Love is the fulfillment of the law. What we couldn't do on our own before, God has done by the power of His Spirit once He's brought us into His family. So yes, we are free from the requirements of the law, but because we have the Holy Spirit living in our hearts now, we can fulfill the law because we love the Lord our God by the power of his spirit and consequently we love one another. So, why give the law if it couldn't make us perfect? What was the point of these sacrifices? Why are we no longer under the law and its requirements? Number one, it wasn't because the people back then ran out of bulls and goats. It wasn't. Number two, it wasn't because the Hebrew Christians decided that they were going to be modern and not stick to the Old Testament way of thinking. It was because that there was nothing in the sacrificial system that the law could do that could completely deal specifically with the issue of sin. And twice, the author of Hebrew uses Two words, never, found in verse 1, and impossible in, the, in verse 4. The law could never deal with sin. It was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to deal with sin. So, what is so pervasive about the nature of sin that the law couldn't deal with, but it needed to deal with it? What was so pervasive about sin that this issue needed to be dealt with? In order for us to go ahead and answer that question, we first have to look and understand what sin is. Negatively speaking, sin is not something that we do or that someone else is doing, even though they might be sinning. Sin... Is an insidious and rebellious condition of the heart that every single human being is born into. Now, I know this morning you, the, the doctrine of original sin is also unfashionable in our society. Most people would say, Well, I'm not a negative person, I don't want to think that way. I'm a positive person, so let's leave out the negativity. But a person who speaks like that, a true Christian never speaks like that. A person that speaks like that is in contradiction to what the Scriptures does teach. Genesis chapter 6, every intention of the heart, every thought of the heart is evil continuously. That is who we are. We are sinners to the core. Romans 3 says every single person has fallen short of the glory of God. When we fail to properly diagnose the issue with modern man, as the Bible calls it, which is sin, what we will find every single time is an undermining of the glory of God completely. When you go to the hospital and you're sick, and you have a serious condition, if the doctor tells you and makes light of your condition, there is something wrong with that doctor. And that doctor deserves to be either put on leave or corrected or fired. No one would appreciate a doctor telling you your condition in a lesser way than it is. The Bible clearly diagnoses the nature of man. And so the problem with humanity is not a poor welfare system, poor political leadership, poor educational systems. It's not even a failure to allocate money to third world countries. The problem with the world today is sin. And it is only Christianity. It is only the Bible that deals specifically with this issue. John MacArthur says it rightly. There's only two religions in the world. There's Christianity, which teaches that God himself enters into his creation to deal specifically with this issue. And then there's every other religion that causes you to work your way hard, so hard, up to the Lord. And you will never do it, and if you try, you'll die trying. The problem with humanity has been, will always be, until the Lord Jesus comes again, sin. And so the sinner does not care for the things of the Lord. And that's why, as a parenthesis, uh, it's foolish to try to make unbelievers do what Christians ought to be doing or whatever the Bible commands. You walk into a room and a non-believer starts cussing and to tell them, stop cursing because I'm a believer, is something that the Bible never tells us to do. There's only one command that the Bible tells the sinner to do and that is repent. So, Any time that we try to cause an unbeliever to live in a Christian way, we are only dealing with a superficial, surface-level issue that needs to be dealt with by God himself, and that is sin. And this is what the author of Hebrews deals with. Every single account in the Gospels shows us a physical representation of our need and our depravity. So, The woman with the issue of flow of blood for 12 years. What was her deal? She needed help. And she went through all doctors and the doctors couldn't help her. So what does she do? I need to touch Jesus' garment. The man whose daughter passed away, sacrificing his reputation. He was a ruler of the synagogue, but he sacrificed his Jewish reputation knowing that Jesus was on the hot seat at the time. And he goes to Jesus and he says, please help, my daughter passed away, and you're the only one that can help. The man with a demon-possessed child, if you look at the accounts throughout the entirety of the Gospels, what's not normal is for demon-possessed children to be around. What do you do when your your child is demon-possessed? What are you going to do? There's only one person that can help. Lord Jesus, please help my son. The demon throws him into the fire. And he foams at the mouth. I can't do anything. Or we can go on and on. Jesus stops funerals. Why? Because he can do something about it. The blind men come to Jesus, and in their blindness they see that there is only one person that can deal with their condition. And what do we see Jesus doing all of these times? You got a paralyzed man on the floor. What does Jesus say? You would think that his problem is that he needs to be healed of his condition. But what does Jesus say? Man, your sins are forgiven you. What? So we find two things happening in the gospels as a physical representation of who we are as Christians, as people Number one, we see people who have known their need. The blind man knows that he needs to see. The paralyzed man knows that he needs to walk. The person with his daughter who's dead knows that his daughter needs to be raised to life. And what does Jesus do? Number two, he compassionately deals with the hardest thing first. Not the physical healing, but the issue of sin. And why is forgiving sin so difficult Why is that the hardest thing? Doesn't God just wink away sins? Isn't that his job? Forgive my sins, Lord. It is because sin by nature seeks to destroy everything in its path, including God himself. And you want to put that to the test? Look at what happened at the cross. Jesus didn't sin, but he went to the cross because of our sin and so when we say that it was our sin that put him there that is a fact so when we deal with our condition when we look and see the world as it is we have to come to face the facts because if we never face the facts about our condition we will never see the beauty of solus christus christ alone If sin is the main issue and the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins permanently, what do the Hebrews do? What are we going to do? Who's going to help us if this is the ultimate issue between God and man? And this leads us to verses 10 through 14. My second thought. What was it about the work of Christ Jesus the Lord that is so spectacular and so full of wonder and so captivating? You're in an impossible situation, and now we are told to look to Jesus. That's your Sunday school answer. What do we do? We look to Jesus. Everyone knows the Sunday school answer. But why is it so compelling to look to Jesus? And the author of Hebrews tells us in verse 10. He says, and by that will, the will that Jesus did for the Father, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. If you have a pen, circle that word once. Because if you go back to the beginning of the chapter, what you will find is that every single priest had to go year by year by year by year. Here we go again. We're going to offer bulls and sacrifices to the Lord and we'll see if he accepts us. But what does Jesus come to do? He comes to offer his body once. There is no other offering to be offered after Jesus' death. It's one time. Does that move you this morning? Does that move you? Does that have any effect on your heart? When you know clearly, when we know clearly that the, mo- the ultimate issue between God and us is sin... And the power of sin is so powerful that it kills every single person that it comes into contact with. It destroys every single plant and an individual that it has a hold on. And there is no one that could do that. There is no remedy in the world. There is no medicine. There is no priest. There is no doctor. There is nothing in this world that can deal decisively with the power of sin, the titanic power of sin, except one person. The power of sin needed to be overshadowed and overtaken by an incredible and titanic, a juggernaut of a force. And that force is only found in one person, in God. So, what does God do? He humbles himself to the point where he gets involved in the details, in the dirt and grime of his own creation, and he takes on sin. And the result of the power of sin, we see that it put Jesus to death on, this, uh, on the cross. When the fullest display of the power of sin was demonstrated, the eternal Son of God rose from the grave never, never, never to die again. And what we see in the Lord Jesus Christ is an infinitely unparalleled power that overtakes sin by infinity. To a certain extent, we have a little glimpse of this when we're playing arm wrestling with our children or people that are a thousand times weaker than us. We let them go all the way down. And the next thing you know, bam, game over. <laughs> Completely done. That's a glimpse. That's a fraction. That that does not do this justice. The power of sin is so pervasive... That when you look at the world today and you see the rumors of wars and you see people backbiting and fighting against each other and you see all of these allegations going against people, especially in in high places of power, the issue is not education. The issue is not a poor upbringing because some of the most educated people in the history of the world are the ones that did the worst atrocities problem is sin and we need a savior so are you depressed this morning you complain a lot do you find yourself always looking over your shoulder to something better are you looking for a better city a better job a better marriage do you always find yourself looking over your shoulder trying to get the next best thing What's your life filled with this morning? Do you feel like you're trying so hard to please God by showing up to church, by raising your kids the right way, by teaching them, and all of your efforts are futile? Do you feel like you can't do enough and God is not happy with you? The remedy to complaining is to look at the finished work of Christ at the cross why is that the remedy to complaining because when we begin to see what Jesus did for us and how he dealt with our sin there should be nothing coming out except joy and gratitude the true Christian is someone who finds their joy consistently in the finished work of Christ not the things that they're doing are you looking for a better church are you looking for a better pastor are you looking for a better friend or group of friends and you're always dissatisfied, look to Jesus. Because I can guarantee you the remedy to that issue is not you getting the things that you want. It's getting what you don't deserve. Christianity is not something that you do. You can't try to live the Christian way. Christianity is something that is done to you before the foundation of the world Christ died for you. God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And that's what Paul says to the Ephesians. Whenever we ask someone, what is your testimony? The correct answer is not the process of how we came to know the Lord. The correct answer is, I am a Christian because God saved me. And then we go into how he did that. But the correct answer will always be because of the finished work of Christ. And so, this morning, are you a skeptic? Are you a professional spiritual sampler trying out different churches and religions? The Bible calls you out this morning and says, repent of your pride because Jesus is the only way. There is salvation in no other person by whom we must be saved except the Lord Jesus. Acts 4. Or John 14:6, "I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." Or as we said earlier, John 15:5, "I am the vine, you are the branches." And most of the time, the reason why we have so many Christian failings on a day-to-day basis is because we get that reversed. We think we are the vine, and Christ is the branches but it's Christ who is the vine and the source of our joy, the source of our life. So are you depressed this morning? Do the dark storm clouds always come over your head every single day and you have no way to get out? Even in those moments, look to Christ. Look to Christ. It's not your philosophy. It's not your career that's going to help you. It's the Lord Jesus. And when He does... When you look, you will see that it changes everything. Everything. So don't let anyone tell you, if you are a believer this morning, don't let anyone tell you that you're too spiritual. The reason why is because you can never be too spirit. You can never get enough of Jesus and what he's done for you. If, if this is true and everything it says about Jesus is true then everything and every aspect of our lives should revolve around him so when Christ came into the world he dealt with the requirements of the law on our behalf and not only did he deal with the requirements of the law on our behalf but he invites us in as people who don't deserve to be invited in And he says, come away with me. Jesus is the only one that deals with the most destructive disease to ever infect man, and it is called sin. And what does Jesus say at the cross? Three words. It is finished. And to that, in Christ, in solus Christus, in Christ alone, to that, If you're a believer, we say, amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you for the grace that we have found in Christ. Lord, whatever words that were not uh, necessary or pleasing to you, whatever was not profitable, I pray that you would throw it to the wind Change the rebellious heart, I pray, and honor your word this morning. For Christ's sake, amen.